Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think, and some stories that are just for fun. We're busy people reading books in realistic increments. Follow along in the book and join in the conversation, or just sit back and enjoy. Our aim is to unpack the story and offer you things to ponder. Either way, thanks for being here. Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast, The Passage, part one. Word and Journey is conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think, and some that creep us out a little bit, but we have fun while it happens, because that's the wonder of a good story. Anyway, I'm Moses and or Reese, depending on which era of life you were introduced to me, and I uh, would like to introduce you to my guest for this series, this book. Justin Nichols. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Or whenever anybody listens to this. How are you doing? Right. Uh, yeah, very good. Thank you. Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad you could come. Finally, we are together the way we've talked about often doing things from different cities in busy lives. Uh, I Have you noticed it's really hard to make friends as, as a grown up? Yes. Increasingly yes. harder. Not only making friends, but keeping strong yeah. friendships alive as well yeah it's hard yeah. uh so mad props to anyone who is still friends with somebody you were friends with 20 30 years ago especially if you don't live in the same city or state although i feel like sometimes i have closer connections with with long distance people sometimes in that we actually have because there, there's like a heightened intentionality that needs to happen to actually connect and so sometimes like those connections are actually a little bit more cool mm-hmm sometimes yeah i mean and you and i've made it what 16 years now yeah i get in there yeah so 16 and a half <laughs> getting there my goodness yeah, we could have a kid yeah, that's crazy <laughs> that's great yeah anyway uh so for the further uninitiated well, who are you what what's your connection to books stories what are some interesting things about you yeah well i'm I'm Justin. I have enjoyed reading since I was a wee little lad in my parents' house. I remember uh, going to book fairs as a youngster, always really, really enjoying that. Uh, the scholastic book fairs at school, they would come in and, you know, it was awesome. Just get to choose from a whole slew of different books. It was fantastic. And then, yeah, ju- in junior high, I used to get like going to the library a ton and uh, I kind of started sinking my teeth into bigger, thicker books and that era of my life and ever since ever since then like you can't i can't go a a month or so without reading something or a week you know so yeah i just really enjoy it um i i have i've gone through seasons of going hard into fiction or hard into nonfiction, but for the most part i try to balance it out where i'm doing you know three or four books at a time you know a couple nonfiction, a couple fiction at the same time, just ones that aren't going to be getting in the way of each other, <laughs> you know? So maybe one's a more historical nonfiction and one's like more spiritual growth. And then one of the novels is maybe some I'm reading with Melissa, my wife, or uh, one, a different one can be on my own. Like something like this, the passage, this is not something that my wife would enjoy at all. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I don't think many either. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit too heavy, too hectic, too dark in places. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a more solo book. So this is why I'm actually really glad that 
you, when you asked me which stories really resonate with you, I said the passage and you're like, hmm, I'd be interested in looking at that one. I was like, oh, well, sweet. I have another one who will be, you know, willing to kind of dive in deep in this one with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that, too. Uh, very, very quick tangent um, that I thought of when you were talking about book fairs that just because I'm a sucker for nostalgia. Growing up, what was your favorite bookstore to go to? We had this little store in Wilsonville called Christian Supply. I remember, remember that. Things? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I liked those. But honestly, honestly, I really liked my school library and the public library. So I didn't visit a ton of bookstores as a kid, other than maybe Christian Supply here and there. And then uh, once I was, I think it was in middle school, probably when I first stepped foot in Powell's in Portland. I mean, that's just epic. I mean, absolutely. If, if anybody is listening and you haven't been to Powell's in Portland, go do it as soon as possible. <laughs> It'll blow your mind. It's like, what, four stories, I think? Uh, nine different four, rooms. Four, five, six. Yeah, it's huge. It's just you know, a coffee shop inside. You have all these. It's incredible. Aisle after aisle after aisle. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's I, I forget what it's the biggest bookstore. It's either the, I, the book's biggest bookstore in the state or the country or some some large geographical area, but it's, it's very huge. It's quite, quite whelming. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, take, it takes up a whole city block. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember I, I I love a good Powell's Rump, just the sheer magnitude of it all. Although I find it hard to browse books there because there's just so many. I'm mostly just like the ambiance. I do remember though when I was a kid, more like middle school, high school, uh, actually like going to Barnes and Noble down in Medford, Oregon. Um, yes. The Medfordites. It's the Barnes and Noble on Biddle Road. I think it's still there. The Marie Callender's nearby has burned down. This bookstore is still there. Uh, I loved uh, the comfy couches. They had like the big cushy chairs and I would just we'd go as a family. I'd find a book and just curl up for hours at a time and just read. It was good. Good times. That sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. I don't, we didn't have a, a really good book, bookstore in town. And so I remember being just a huge fan of finding little bookstores, little, little mom and pa kind of shops wherever whenever i went on a, a trip of any kind you know whatever town we were in whatever we were doing visiting i was like oh man i gotta visit you know just these little holes in the wall now stop in and say oh man what's you know what do you have here it's usually probably like high schoolish by that point but still like i really enjoy it to this day i still really like just visiting any bookstore that i'm in town when i'm in a different town yeah there's a particular smell to them that you just don't get off the kindle Mm-mm. <laughs> nope anyway so the passage yes so let's do let's do it this way would you uh so we read the first six chapters uh mm-hmm. as per your recommendation about how to pace ourselves through this large mm-hmm. volume uh would you give a brief narration uh synopsis summary of what happens who we meet in these first six chapters and then we will discuss lots of things about the chapters sure absolutely yeah well i mean the first um so so six chapters, right? You have the first several pages, first couple dozen pages are all about Amy and Jeanette, her mom. So Amy's a little girl. And we just launch into the story of Amy and Jeanette. And I really, well, I'll, I'll get to my thoughts about it later. But anyway, you start out with um, the story of, of Amy and her mom, Jeanette, and the how she came to be born and their connection and what happened to them. And then um, it takes us to a few other characters kind of throughout each, each different chapter. Uh, one of them being via emails, this guy named Jonas Lear, who is a, uh, let's call him a scientist. 
he's a virologist and he is emailing a friend back in the States. He's on a trip uh, down to Bolivia. And there are some very interesting things that we learn in those emails. So we kind of learn a little bit about him, his backstory, uh, a woman that he had been with who seemingly had, had, had passed the year before. And then we get into um, a guy named Walgast, Brad Walgast, and uh, he's a special agent along with Phil Doyle. And we just meet these characters and we, they go in kind of a backstory along with it, right? You, you learn all about um, each, each person, Amy and Jeanette, and you meet a, actually a prisoner named Anthony Carter in the midst of this as well. And everything that uh, it, it's kind of bouncing around. It's the introductory kind of flavor of, of l- learning who these people are, what are they doing? What are their motivations? What are their thought processes? And who are they connected to? Um, so yeah, we meet Brad and our special agents, Brad Walgast and Phil Doyle. Um, they're actually going to meet Anthony Carter at a prison in Texas and basically snatching him up prior to lethal injection and taking him into a program. The program is run by this guy named Richards and Sykes. It's out in Colorado. And so Walgast and Doyle are kind of their errand boys. Uh, Walgast is very, very good with people. And so he is usually the one to convince the wardens or the people of the state who need to give these prisoners over to the program. And after that, we meet these um, these sisters in a, in a uh, these nuns who are who actually take well I don't know should I should I kind of spoil that spoilers will happen okay yeah you can't spoil it for me because I'm reading it for the first time no, but I know, we I will know. spoil it for all of those nerds. I know, I know. it's very unfair <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no I just want to make sure um, so basically Jeanette leaves her daughter Amy with these nuns and we get to meet sister Lacey she's as close to a protagonist as we're going to get at this point in the story so far i think if you want to call walgast an anti-hero sure maybe protagonist but we don't know much too much more about him at this point so i think sister lacy uh seems like she's the only one with any sort of uh you know uh, moral center or volition to act out on so you know a few more sisters sister arnett sister lace or claire uh and then Amy is with Sister Lacey at the zoo when we come to the close of the sixth chapter. Oh, and then we also meet uh, Gray. Gray is kind of like a, what they call a sweep, a.k.a. A, a security guard, for lack of a better term, just keeping his eyes on these human-ish creatures that are part of this program uh, in Colorado that they've started. So that is about where we are so far human ish that uh captures a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know they apparently they glow and they have glowing eyes that show up in your dreams which incredibly sharp uh, teeth and incredibly sharp teeth yes mm-hmm. so so just a lovely fun happy little <laughs> happy little vampire story sort of yes so i've not ever read any stephen king although maybe we'll do that at some point but mm. i i wonder someone else who has could maybe make a comparison um of of that but yes thank you for that narration absolutely uh lots to lots to dwell on in in the characters Mm -hmm. but as a whole like you were saying there's 
it's an adventure story. Uh, so what, I guess what, what genre would we put this? Definitely nonfiction, just kind of science fiction-ish. It, there's science fiction. I mean, a, a, there's kind of a twinge of horror with, you know, the stuff in the, in the jungle that happened to uh-huh. the crew. You know, what, what Gray is seeing in his dreams. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a couple aspects of horror. Drama, adventure, character and drama. There's a little bit of like a psychological thriller component. Or there's premonitions of that anyway. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of it. Definitely an ensemble cast, which I like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I like bouncing around and seeing different people, anticipating they'll probably all come together in different ways, which is, I don't know, that's always super fun. And yes, you have Sister Lacey, who's kind of our one one person who seems to be acting of her own volition in accordance Mm -hmm. with her own values for now. The, the Brad Wolgast, uh, Special Agent Wolgast character, he's interesting. He seems, well, I mean, they all, they're all sad people. <laughs> and they all well, carry think, a lot of burdens. I think that's part of what is in, what's enduring about it. And also something I, I kind of, I kind of enjoy is that these people have major issues, like major, major issues. And they each have, stuff they're struggling with in one way or another you know some of them are really extreme i mean gray sounds like not a good dude some of the stuff that he's kind of hinting at in his past you know and and then sister lacy she has her own stuff from her past but she's kind of apparently blocked it out of what actually happened to her in sierra leone and you have so many different ways to approach these characters because there's already a rich history within each one. It's almost like, um, if I may be so bold so far, it's it's very similar, I think, to Lost at this point in the way that it develops the characters and the flashbacks paint a really good picture of who the, who these people are in the present. At least if you're talking about, let's just take season one of Lost. All these people crash on the island. They're trying to get to know each other. They all have their own issues. They all have their own problems that they're working through. They have redeeming qualities, yeah, sure. But like at the outset, you've got people fighting, people yelling, people don't know who to trust or what's going on, and then the and then the weird stuff on the island starts happening. Bloody polar like, bears, man! <laughs> I know, right? But I mean, if if you look at it like like kind of like that, it's the ensemble. It's a lot of characters, a lot of story, a lot of connections that they may not even know about to begin with, and then we as the viewer get to see all of those things play out piece by piece by piece, you know? So it's just, I, I don't know. I, I liken it to that quite a bit. Yeah. I I feel a little bit of that twinge also where it's a lot of, you know, we could say like a lot of messed up people now being drawn into a shared adventure, a dark adventure, uh, which was one of the, one of the things I, I loved most about Lost uh, and what I appreciate about similar sorts of ensemble shows is it's, uh, it's very, um, I, we could argue Lost was very character driven. There's a lot. Lost was also very plot driven. Also, I guess there was like a strong world building component too. Okay, okay. So it was a lot of things, but I, I really appreciated like the character, the character driven nature of of Lost. In that, you you at some point you're watching it for the characters, or you stop watching it because of the characters because they get a little ridiculous at some point. But yeah, you fall in love with the people and you're invested in what's going to happen and you care about them and you feel sad when they die. Spoiler alert. What people lost. died and lost? Oh my god! They were already dead. <laughs> stop! Stop! <it. laughs> stop perpetuating that. 
<laughs> I know, I know. It's good. Yeah, but there's a um, yeah. So um, broadly speaking, again, before I mean, we could go in and out of like the specifics of the story. But mm-hmm. what are uh, what are some things that draw you to this particular story? Given that it is a little bit dark, what draws you to a dark adventure like this? So I, I didn't know too much about this story before I started reading it. I actually I don't know if this was the exact one. But I actually remember coming across this book in one of the bookstores, whether it be Barnes & Noble or Powell's. And first of all, the author's name is Justin Cronin. I don't know if we talked about that. Justin oh, yeah, yeah. Cronin is the author. There you go. And C-R-O-N-I-N. And he's an excellent author, but his name stood out to me. I'm Justin. Hey, there's my name. So that's easy uh, beginning connection. But then I, so I read the back, but that's usually not enough for me. After reading the back, I started in in the book just read i think it was about two or three pages that's it <laughs> and i gotta tell you i read the first three pages out and i was hooked like like that was that but with with the starting out before she became the girl from nowhere the one who walked in the first and last and only who lived a thousand years she was just a little girl in iowa named amy amy harper belafonte i mean with that, with that first sentence or two, like that was just it for me. And uh, I kept reading the story about her and her mom, Jeanette, and then I was just hooked. So I, I, I feel like it wasn't really I was like searching for a book about, about vampires. I honestly don't read monster books at all. Like it's not in my wheelhouse, to be honest with you. But when I started this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, this writer is really talented. And the way he weaves even the first story about her and her mom and uh, Jeanette's dad and the father of Amy and their, their, their little life and just how that came to be, I, I couldn't put it down. I, I had to have it and read it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciated the first story quite a bit as well. And um, yeah, there's something about like, like these first first two lines i kind of cap they 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 seem like they capture the whole story and don't at all and there, there's a brilliance there but um but yeah i i've i both love and love and don't love like his writing style uh the in the story of jenna and amy there's definitely a way he covers a lot of ground in a short amount of time and he conveys like oh, this whole history in really concise terms but are but it kind of in a really beautiful kind of flowing, almost kind of whimsical way. Be like, oh, here's this lady, and all of this really wretched stuff happened to her, and you know, and and so she goes, and so she goes. But like in this really, yeah, in this really, I, I know I'm making light of it, but there, I mean, there's it's actually really beautifully written. Well, I had a little bit of a hard, hard, harder time with this style as it went on because he was doing this for like multiple characters. I think when like by the time he got to like Gray's story, and he was. You know, we we meet Gray like on duty watching one of the vampire humanish creatures, and then it just kind of like goes into like a lot of like narrator voice talking about like here's who he is. And I think at that point, and maybe it's because I was reading it really late at night, but that that chapter felt tiring. Hmm. But um, but yeah, a, a lot of it is there. There's a pace to the story. It's written. It reads fast mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, so it's whatever how many multiple hundreds of pages, but it uh, it, it like doesn't sixty. Yeah, it, it, but like, uh, like Le Miserable by Hugh, Victor Hugo is like a similar length, and like that one feels like work to read. Mm-hmm. Good work. That this one feels a little bit, a little bit more fluffy because it just, I don't know, it's written to be a little bit more exciting, a little bit more of a page page turner. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that you said the pace. I think I think he writes with a, an incredible amount of pace and does squeeze a lot into each paragraph mm-hmm. in order to for you to get the the voice of the character. And I think if you read Jeanette's, let's say four or five pages about Jeanette, and then you turn and read four or five pages about Gray, I think you'd actually find that there is a difference in voice. And I feel like there's a a, um, a noticeable, um, I guess you could call it aloofness about Gray, that he lets things just kind of slide. He doesn't care too much about much. Like he's he's very... Uh, he's just like, all right, well, yeah. I mean, they said I can't leave for a year. That's fine. I'll just work. It's it's cool. Whatever. I don't get, you know, six or eight channels. That's fine. I'll just watch what I can watch. I'll watch the you know, Discovery Channel or the Travel Channel or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that yeah. was really good. And in the first part of it, um, it was very poetic. I thought the very, very poetic prose. Can I read a quote? Yeah, sure. So this is from Jeanette's story. Uh, it's on page 14. It says, uh, it seemed as if time had compressed somehow, like an accordion. All the years she had lived and everything that had happened to her were suddenly squeezed below the weight of this one moment. She remembered the early mornings when Amy was just a baby, how she'd held and rocked her by the window, often falling asleep herself. Those had been good mornings, something she'd always remember. That is really beautiful. I like that. Very poetic, Yeah. As we're thinking about it, too, thinking about specifically like Jeanette versus Gray. Uh, yeah, there's there's a way Gray. He's he's very much like kind of like post life in a way. Like he's like had his had his crimes, had his time. He's just kind of like biding time until something happens, and like not really engaged in much. And there's this very lackadaisical pace to him compared to Jeanette, who is this you know young single mom who's you know living in poverty. And there's a really high sense of urgency to her of like gotta find a job gotta get moving gotta gotta care for my baby girl and uh that range of emotional engagement and that range of different conflicts is is really interesting Mm -hmm. and then and then you get to you know some some of these other characters uh you know you know we spend a lot of time with agent walgast and he's very i like how he's written in that he's very like present and past uh you know he's got this current conflict gotta gotta get to got to get to Anthony Carter, got to, you know, sell him on this thing. I've got to like get this girl, like WTF, why are we kidnapping this girl? And there's at the same time as he's also wrestling through, like he's divorced, he's lost a child. He's uh, in, he's in a lot of pain and, you know, like very, he seems, he seems like a very like unhappy dude, but with like hints of nobility, like anti-heroish qualities about him. Uh, So yeah, he's interesting. Not necessarily likable, but very, but still interesting and kind of, kind of relatable in a way. So, I think that's so well put. He's not completely likable, but he's interesting, you know. And he's not—he's not very. I don't know. I wouldn't call him bland as a character because there's a lot no. of stuff that that you know is is intriguing about him. But it's almost like you're just getting just the just a taste of who this guy is. And you're like, I don't, I kind of like his thought process, but I don't like his follow through or his actions. Okay, maybe he seems good with people, yet, I mean, what, what's the ulterior motive here? I mean, you know, it's, so we, we kind of get a little taste of, of what he's about. And I, I do like his interactions with Doyle a little bit. I feel like they have like the, the, the big brother, little brother dynamic. Uh, 
in, in a professional realm. And then when he gets the note that now he has to go get this, what, six-year-old girl for this program, he has a, a lot of reservations. And he's not too stoked on that, you know? So that, that kind of, you know, that kind of says, okay, he has some conscience, you know, but we don't know how it's going to play out because we just, <laughs> we just stopped at chapter six, right? When he got, uh, got the girl in the car. Right. Yeah. I've peeked on ahead just a little bit. So, um, hey. but only a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the other, the other thing I was liking is. I think this was in the first six chapters. Maybe, maybe it was a little bit of like the next one, but like, so, so, so Richards, he's the guy that's running this facility, which is in Colorado. So I don't know. I, I read that there, there, this facility where the scientific stuff is happening is in Colorado. So I assume it's under Cheyenne mountain next to the Stargate compound, because that's what happens in Colorado is the Stargate. Um, but anyway, <laughs> be that as it may. Uh, so I, you know, I'm getting the vibe from Richards and Sykes that they're kind of the antagonists or kind of like meant to be like, like the villains. I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess in a, I'm lately appreciating those stories where there's not a really clear line between hero and villain or again, I referencing lost. Uh, I know like the Ben Linus character is like one of the most brilliant characters I think ever written. Absolutely this insidious hideous villainous person but like especially by the end of the show like you you understand him mm-hmm. and you can the, there's ways there's ways to relate to him and he's he's very much a human mm-hmm. and even even kind of kind of kind of likable by by the end uh because he because they they bring out the complexity of you know he didn't just like wake up one day and become like you know evil ben linus like he mm-hmm. was once a boy who wasn't loved by yeah. his father and like you're like oh well, he kind of makes sense then. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I noticed that Justin Cronin seems to do, he, he seems, it seems like there's a potential that he's going to do that. I mean, I guess, you know, and I don't, but we get into Richard's head and we get to see he's not just like, oh, he's like this like man in a black mask and a black coat. But I know he's, he's like, he's, he's running this program. He's really invested in getting the details done and in a way has a conscience too. I mean, like he has to like, you know, off a couple people, but it's all like in service of like, you know, keeping the program running, mm-hmm. which and keep it the secret. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. which I guess I guess we'll see how that works out. You know, what stood out to me, though, about him, about Richards is, see, for me, I don't know if there is a clear antagonist, a clear, you know, villain in this, because, yes, he has to take out those two guys. And that's terrible. That's terrible. But at the same time, he's human and he even interacts with uh Sykes in a really unique way, right? He's he's so in, involved or self self-absorbed and uh, involved with the program that Sykes comes into his office here and says, "What about us? Are we friends?" And Sykes or, and Richards was like, "I hadn't even thought about that. Friends? Who cares?" You know? And he's like, "Sure." Uh, allows himself a small smile. "Yeah, sure. We're friends." And then Sykes was like, "Eh, on second thought, maybe that's not such a hot idea. Thanks anyway." It's like this, this really weird, such a brilliant interaction. It's so good. And it like, it, it paints them in just such this unique way. Cause I mean, they're, they're just two dudes doing this government work, this secret thing out on the compound in the middle of nowhere in Colorado. And they have these weird, weird things going on in their lab. And they're like, are we, are we friends? Like, do we even use that word? 
we're just acquaintances, comrades. Like, what what do we even say to each other? You know, and so yeah, which is an interesting like human question anyway. I mean, like especially I mean, like you live with the person, you work with the person, you see this person every day. Like you're in the you're in the business all the time, but can, but it's very possible to still like not know a person at all. Mm-hmm. That feels like one of the major themes that seems to be brought out as partly character, partly world building, but um, all of these people feel really isolated to me. Mm-hmm. It really comes out in a, this really desperate way with Jeanette's story. And I was telling you a little bit, like reading her story reminded me, you know, speaking of Lemez, you know, of Fantine, mm. the mother of, oh, forgive me, I forget mostly characters' names in Lemez. <laughs> uh, another is Fantine and Jean Valjean and yeah, Gavroche. Yeah, but, you know, so the, so, the, so the mother of the heroine, you know, goes on a similar journey of like, lost opportunity after lost opportunity and failure after failure and having to make concession after concession, like anything to survive. She sells her front teeth. She sells her body. She sells her hair, you know, and there's just like this absolute desperation there because she's completely resourceless. You know, Anthony Carter is selected for the program because he has no connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gray is selected to work for the program because he has no connections. Yep. Uh, you know, Wolgast and Doyle, they're in the car together all of the time, but you kind of get the sense that, they again they don't really know each other like they don't interact on a deep level mm-hmm. that way i mean maybe they maybe they will coming up but they kind of get the sense for, with Wilgast especially that at this point in his life he's he's got his work he's got his buddy cop uh and that's it like nothing really bigger to live for then by by contrast again you see here's you know sister lacy who does have people she's mm-hmm. she's a she's the one who's not isolated she yeah. has the sister she's has she has her faith she has I mean, she's got her her wounds and burdens, but she she has a community and a structure so that she doesn't fall apart. And with, mm-hmm. from within there, is able to offer safety, hospitality to this uh, to this orphan girl, and yeah. uh, so, and and she really stands out because of that. But uh, I don't know. I was just I was really struck by that theme. I mean, it seems like a really relevant thing to talk about. <laughs> I mean, we were like getting a little. I, I don't not kidding about like how hard it is to make friends as an adult mm-hmm. and we have a lot of advantages and resources to do so and it, it kind of helps being in a faith community and it kind of helps oh, having yeah. reasonably successful social jobs and I, I, I think we have good personalities and people like us you know and it, it kind of helps to have gone through like a university setting and collected some friends there um, mm-hmm. and so we had those resources and privileges but like I know a lot of people that I work with, like don't have any of that. And so they're just like going through life, like alone. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, no wonder you drink on like a porn all the time. Cause you don't got yeah. anything else. So, yeah, no, that's the thing, man. It's, it's a very isolated world, individualistic world that we live in. And it, it, it stems to, uh, I guess exacerbated by our digital lives. You know, we, we think we have, all these connections and friends and followers and whatnot on our, you know, on our accounts, but they're just numbers. They're just screens. It's just, you know, 2d reality. And, you know, we get more and more isolated and it's just, we no longer live in the analog. And so to echo what you said, it is important to have these, these communities, whether it be faith or, or otherwise, but it's just, it's harder and harder to put yourself out there even in not, not just, um, hanging out with people, but, you know, talking about dating, I have several single friends who are like, man, it's impossible to meet anybody anymore, you know? And I'm just, 
yeah, I just see so much loneliness and isolation and uh, separateness. And I think it it's just, a, we, we have to combat that somehow, you know? And so, yeah, going, going, getting involved in this faith community is huge. Finding a, a little home group or, um, you know, the little meetups, you know, these, these all help a little bit, but I, I think Indeed. you're, yeah, go ahead. Faith groups or meetups uh, or like recovery groups. I mean, that's, that's the other one. I have some, some pulse on, uh, I mean, if you happen to identify that way, but yeah, it's yeah, recovery it's groups, I guess, support, support groups. Yeah. Sports groups kind support, of, if you, if you play it. I know you, you said support, I said support like, like intramurals. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause I, I mean, that, that, that doesn't really work for me, but I mean, I imagine some people could like participate in that some, but yeah. Yeah. Nice. It's hard. It's funny. Cause I always like, I always have this cliche in my head of like, Oh yeah, you want to socialize, like go join a book club or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that actually exists in functional real life so much anymore. Like we're doing and a book club, you and I, we are, that's kind of what this is meant to be is like, a, is, is an online digital book club only. I, I don't know if people are actually meeting. So I hope if you listen to the podcast, like follow the Facebook group and like try to make some friends and <laughs> meet some people. Uh, we're, we're generally nice people. Yeah, and maybe one of these days we'll even get to record together in the same room. Yeah, I would would really like that. That would be amazing. Uh, I need to get some equipment then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I was having this thought. Let me know what you think of this. Uh, Thinking about characters and uh, components in the passage. So we've kind of pinpointed, there's not yet a clear protagonist, sort of Sister Lacey, but but it's not... Agent Wolcast is kind of getting set up as like the action is going to follow him, like him and Amy, probably. But as far as an antagonist, uh, I'm almost wondering about death in general as an antagonist. Because hmm. it's, it's seeming like something that is just like kind of following everyone. Um, hmm. Like, you know, I mean, Jeanette's father dies, that kind of catapults her into things. Uh, Wolcast, I mean, he's, he's lost people. I mean, Carter killed somebody kind of accidentally uh and and there there's just kind of this looming thought of like people are going to die uh or or there or that, i mean that's a big thing i guess the virus the the scientific project going on is there this thing that happened in the jungle like a bunch of people contracted some it was a it was a, a group of terminally ill cancer patients who contracted something in the jungle that started to restore their youth mm-hmm. and it was unrefined or something. So they all ended up dying anyway, but that's, that's the project is trying to stave off death through yeah. junglish means. Uh, and so, uh, I don't know. It almost seems like it's a whole bunch of people versus death in this sort of story. What do you think? That's possible. But I think you could say that about a million stories. I mean, if, if the author is, uh, painting his characters as those who fear death, as those who focus on and constantly think about death, uh, then I feel like that could be an apt description of the antagonist. But I, I don't get the sense that all of these characters are uh, consumed with the thoughts of death. I feel like the um, the uh, right right around the corner. I feel like is this thing you don't quite know yet what this thing is but i think it includes death absolutely but i don't know if anybody yet in the story knows that this is right around the corner the and i'm not even saying that just because i know what's next i i think 
if you look at Grades and Richards' stories, you have those instances in both where Gray's dreaming and some really crazy, funky, twisted things are happening in his dream. And then you realize that it's one of the creatures or whatever, you know, showing him things and talking to him in his dream. And that's not good. <laughs> so there's this, there's this sense of, okay, some, something's going on, like in, in a very uh, kind of supernatural way, you know, that it's, it's kind of verging on this. That's why I said there's a twinge of horror involved because you have these, you know, kind of bad omens, these bad thoughts uh, that, that these people are thinking of, but it's not just because gray at this point, I, he's not really thinking about death. He's just getting all twisted in the head, some from his past and then some from his present current dreams and situation, yeah. you know, and then Richards, he seems, he seems like he's just in charge of everything. And he's just like going through life, playing free sale, you know, uh, uh, several thousand times. And <laughs> yeah, it's all just that, like all that free sale. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I like free sale, but I haven't played that many games, but yeah. no, it's just, I, I don't know if that is the great looming threat that they like, we have a sense of it, but I feel like they are just going through the motions, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's a really interesting set of characters. And like, like Gray is this really interesting character because he's, he's really this nobody character. I mean, which is like in, in the context of the world, part of why he is in the position he is because he's just nobody. I mean, I mean, he's, he's convicted yeah. of a sex offense and then he has, he has a, he's a criminal past, but current day, he's just like, he shows up, he does his job. He has no aspirations, no ambitions. He just like lives for his creature comforts, does a simple job and has his scary dreams. And, and, and it's kind of a way, I mean, he might be the most bland of the characters at this point. But, but there's kind of a way like a lot of the characters like don't really have a sense of like purpose other than just like getting to, getting onto the next thing. So so I I do feel excited about seeing what gets what gets to be built on them. Like having a really blank character like Ray or like, like Amy, she's six years old and she's six years old and traumatized and barely speaks, but can also command polar bears to do her bidding. Or yeah, so that's that that's amazing. It'll be fun to see these characters grow and see what they have to struggle with, what they have to overcome. Mm -hmm. Which, again, thinking Lost was uh, the that was, that was what one of the really compelling things is seeing seeing these characters have to face the worst parts of themselves, and then I mean sometimes die right after. Mm -hmm. But then also some of them really find these really great redemptive and healing moments too, or seems like they're all offered an opportunity to become more than they are. Mm -hmm. Some of them take it. Yeah. Well, and honestly, think about how, how often do we get to read or watch, whatever the medium, a, a story from the perspective of somebody who is maligned by the culture at large, and maybe for good reason, too. I mean, you, you have this story told from the perspective of Gray, who's a registered sex offender, and he hasn't, it hasn't come out like, in you know explicit detail yet or anything like that but it, it sounds like he did some pretty messed up stuff yet we get what eight nine ten pages or more of this guy's story and of his perspective and it's just really unique we have that and then and then a murderer on, on death row you know what i mean like actually seeing what uh from his perspective of what he's gone through and his 
his version of the story of what happened when you know the the lady was dead in the pool like it's just unique how he he really draws us into these moments through these characters eyes but a lot of times stories are told about them very rarely from their point of view yeah that is that is neat now they mention it uh getting to see see these perspectives represented and I want to say not in a way that makes them into freaks uh, and that they're they're given kind of a, a place of significance and prominence. And uh, yeah, you get into the perspective uh, and like into like the, the normalcy of their lives, which is kind of cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, for Gray, especially, I mean, I mean, I mean, if every now and then had had a, had a uh, had somebody with a registered sex offense on my caseload and she's I mean, those folks get no breaks at all. Uh, society is really harsh on them like unnecessarily so i think uh so it's nice to see you know at least get that to get up close to one uh i mean fictional though it is sure but yeah i think there is a there's even the level of blandness to him because you think about he's in his 40s and all he's working for right now is just enough money to go travel like that's all he wants he wants to go to bora bora and live one of those huts like that's his aspiration in life i mean spend a year make a ton of money pay your dues, get out of the States, go to Bora Bora, live in a hut. And that's the whole of life. That's the joy. That's the, you know what I mean? So that's all, that's all you're getting from him. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's worse ways to go, <laughs> but yeah, but, but actually to your point earlier, that, that just perpetuates his own story of isolation right there. You know, he's already been alone for so many years of his life. And then he does these terrible things and then he's kind of, you know, shipped away, if you will, to this lonely space where, you know, he'll, you know, work out his, the rest of his sentence in a way that he's just watching monitors and cleaning up stuff and taking bunny rabbits into the cages and all this stuff. And then his aspiration is to go away and be alone again, but this time in a more, you know, serene, beautiful, tropical location. But it's just, it's more isolation. Yeah. He could almost be a monastic. He could he could almost be a really good monk, except that he doesn't have the tradition around him. So yeah. that's too bad. Yeah. But so so talking again about here. So here's a story uh, which we're drawn to. I forget who it was. So this needs to be attributed properly to somebody, and I forget who she is. But when someone says, "Hey, I like the story. I think you like it too," there's actually uh, a, co- a couple of different components that people tend to latch onto that and that impact whether or not you'll actually like the story. I didn't say that super, super clearly. So when someone recommends a book to you, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you'll like it, sometimes you won't. Uh, what, you know, why is that? It might depend on what kind of book is being recommended to you. And so, so what you'll find is there are books that there's plot, there's world building, there's character, and then there's writer's voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, different books will have one, maybe two of those as a particular strength. Uh, and you'll tend to, you know, latch onto it from there. Um, so, you know, I, I like Cormac McCarthy for his writer's voice and that's just about it. <laughs> um, you know, the, the appeal to game of Thrones was like plot and world building and the characters were horrible. Uh, you know, something like lost, uh, well, lost has like a lot of world building, and character elements and plot to it too. 
you know, Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin, very much like a world building premise. Like here's this world where mm -hmm. like every individual could be either gender at any time. What happens in a world like this? Uh, and it's just like exploring that question. And there's like kind of a loose plot to it. Anyway, there's, there's, there's those four components there. When you approach this one, Justin, uh, what do you feel like out of like those four components? Like, what do you feel like you are most drawn to in this story? Most drawn to, I'm most drawn to the characters. I'm most drawn to the characters, absolutely. But right behind that is actually the mystery, the intrigue behind it. With a statement like the first sentence gives, that obviously tells me, okay, there's way bigger scope to this story than just telling a story like there's there's a way there's a way bigger purpose to this story and seeing the thickness of it i know it's going to take me a while oh and then also there's the 12 and the city of mirrors books one and two i mean sorry books three two and three and so th when i'm reading it i'm completely enthralled with the way justin cronin draws out these characters thoughts memories motivations um et cetera, et cetera, the dialogue, all that stuff. So definitely character for me, but the mystery and intrigue is, is right behind it. And I'm very impressed with the world building too, because if you have chapter one being all about Amy and Jeanette, and then chapter two, just being the emails between Jonas Lear and his buddy, Paul, like in those two chapters alone, I am absolutely hooked on this because you have these, these hints of something to come through the emails that Lear sent Paul. Uh, yet you have a wonderful way, a narrative in the first chapter with Jeanette and, and Amy and all the people that they came across. Right. So I would, it's a long way of saying it's definitely the characters for me, but man, the world building is super impressive. And then I'm completely intrigued by this overarching mystery behind it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree with a lot of that. I, I'm intrigued by the characters. They're it's they're intriguing people, uh, and I mean, <laughs> sad and traumatized as they are, and I'm I'm interested to see what they do and how they get to know each other. And I, I feel also drawn to the story, to the plot. I don't know. For me, not not as much world building. Uh, there, there, because it's like it's like modern times. Uh, there, there's hints that it's uh, a little bit in the future. Uh, I, I think uh, I said a little bit, but it's I don't know. It's like cars we know mcdonald's we know like cell phones we know uh so like adam not a whole lot of new stuff there except that oh wow yeah, there's like fair. vampires under there's vampires in the stargate mountain he's a good writer i mean nothing terribly special about like the the narrative voice uh, except that it's really clean and really concise and it really he really does like capture your attention really well which I know isn't specifically like a wordsmithing thing as much as a, like he knows how to structure characters and plot and introduce things really well. So mm -hmm. um, yes, I mean, I was hooked and I'm, I'm still hooked and intrigued. So I think it's good. I, I would say he has this, he has this twist of the pen that I find very evocative. I find, I find the, the narrative structure very evocative. Like when, when, the, when Jeanette left Amy, at the convent, dude, I, I'm, I'll tell you straight up. I'm not a very emotional guy, but I was like, I was struck in the heart with how it was written just in terms of, man, how he wrote that scene was so brilliant. Just the fact that he, she, you know, 
dropped her off, gave her a hug, didn't want to let Sister Lacey know or let on that she wasn't going to come back, yet she this was the last time she was going to get to see her daughter. You know, and just held on, breathed Amy in, uh, squeezed, you know, didn't say anything because she couldn't, like I said, she couldn't insinuate her actual purpose. And yet it just broke me, man. It was so well-written and so sad. Um, and I'm not, I'm not a sucker for sad things. I like to be happy and optimistic, but the way that drew me in is so evocative and I was, I was really impressed with so that. I think that's kind of the pros of, of, of Cronin is it's very poetic. It's evocative. It's absorbing. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's in a simple sort of way, like, mm-hmm. again, kind of thinking like, like how Cormac McCarthy does things. I mean, like he, he like makes up grammatical errors to accentuate whatever he's wanting to say. And like, you know, breaks all conventions to be, you know, cool. Uh, and it's very fancy, you know, you know, Cronin, he's poetic and evocative, but in a really simple, like understated sort of way, like mm-hmm. his writing style is almost invisible in that. Yeah. He, he doesn't get in the way of his own story because mm-hmm. he writes in very, very plain language, but says, does just what needs to be said to bring out the emotions. Yeah. Which, is pretty pretty smart pretty sharp there yeah, very yes. smart that's a good way to say it he doesn't get in the way of his own story i like that yeah yeah i yeah, mean sure. um I, i'm also a sucker for sentimentality nostalgia um just feeling and, and memories like i i it's we could have a whole podcast just about that stuff about dreams and memories and connections with people and and how to how to go through life still being mindful of the past without it ruling the present. And the way that uh, Cronin wrote this scene, I found it. I wrote the quote down, if I, if I may, and then I'll, yeah. I'll explain why. Jeanette knew she was about to cry. Something that the woman... Oh, sorry. Let me start back, step back. She hugged her as long as she dared. The feeling of Amy was all around her. The warmth of her body, the smell of her hair and skin. Jeanette knew she was about to cry. Something the woman, Lucy, Lacey, couldn't see, but she let herself hold Amy a moment longer, trying to put this feeling in a place inside her mind, someplace safe where she could keep it. Then she let her daughter go, and before anybody said another word, Jeanette walked from the kitchen and down the driveway to the street, and then kept right on going. So that part, dude, like trying to put this feeling in a place inside her mind, someplace safe where she could keep it. That's I've had moments like that where I'm like, I want to remember this forever. Like, even if I don't remember every single detail of my surroundings, I want to at least remember this feeling, this emotion, this, you know, cognitive acceptance of whatever is happening around and to me in this moment, you know? And so I get that. I feel that like I, I would never, ever, 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 ever think about leaving Isaiah as my son uh, for those listening. Um, but my gosh, like having my own kids understand that sentiment right there of what she was doing in that moment. Like if she had to do that, if she felt she had to do that, even if we disagree, if she felt she had to do that in her mind, that moment resonates like to my core. Yeah. I agree that that's such a really powerful moment. And I'm captivated by the element in there where she's like, like holding on to her daughter and just like filled with the scent of her. And I'm like, yeah, like when I hug my boys, uh, and uh, like tonight was a night like that when I was like heading out from my office was a night when they're like, you know, daddy, one more hug. 
no daddy one more hug no for real one more hug and i'm like guys i gotta go but i'm like yes i want to give them one more hug oh my goodness so other other powerful moments so one of the other moments that like still chokes me up when i think about it from the movie interstellar so and so so in that story so there's this you know father-daughter dynamics throughout and like the the way it works out he's leaving for space when she's still like a teenager and she's mad at him for leaving and so doesn't like doesn't get to say goodbye properly like she like rebuffs him and doesn't give him a hug and then like there's a super dramatic soundtrack and she's like running after she changed her mind too late and she's like running after the truck like calling for him he, he doesn't hear her so she's like they just missed getting to like have the last hug and i'm just like oh i gotta hug, wait, gotta hug my kids all of the time uh so that's so good the other thing i really love about that sort of moment though is we might i mean we might very easily pass a judgment and say oh this parent this this single mom who had like had a kid out of wedlock like left her kid like oh what a you know what a lame lazy person or whatever but mm. The way that he writes her story, like you completely understand why she's doing it. Mm-hmm. And you can completely understand why, given her lack of resources and her desperation, like, yeah, this was probably the most loving thing she could do, mm. she could conceive to do, like in that moment. And was it good or right? Eh, you know, th- those words are less helpful in that sort of situation. But you, you really get to see, like, oh, yeah, people do things like that for a reason. And it's important to remember that reason. Very, very good point. I agree. And that's, I can't, I, I think that's why I appreciate that um, Cronin allows us to read these stories from the perspective of different people who are frankly, just, if they're not terrible people themselves, <laughs> they've had terrible things done to them. And it's just important for us to remember that a lot of people going through hell have to make some pretty drastic choices and you know it's on us to respond with grace and and mercy to, to folks who man we don't know everything that's going on in their lives you know we don't know every bit of every person's story and if we're only reacting to you know let's say a, an isolated incident or or a you know decision they've made that maybe impacts or affects us in a, in a certain way then we've missed a, a whole lot of it you know, the, the before. And I think that's important to remember that everyone has a story and some things that may seem off or weird or wrong or even terrible to us. I mean, it came from a place that in a moment, in a split second, it made sense to that person doing it, you know, and making that decision. Yep. Very much so. So yeah, that's the passage by Justin Cronin, part one, part one of several more. Don't know what the passages are where it leads just yet, but I'm excited to find out. By the way, did you notice did you notice the word the passage in the emails? I did see that. Yes. There it is. I did see that. And so I thought, okay, that's that that's promising. So yeah, uh, I'll hope for more uh I'm hoping for more from Jonas Lear at some point because he seems interesting. But I, I know, guess me too. No spoilers. No spoilers. Don't tell me. Me too, because we've only heard his emails from the jungles of Bolivia. And then we only right. heard Richards and Sykes mention him doing a bunch of research there, like on the premises in Colorado. Yeah, and so I'm, yeah. I'm really curious to, to to find out more from him because it yeah. says like at the end of his thing where he tells that everybody just either like died or whatever says I feel as if I've entered a new era of my life. What strange places our lives can carry us to? What dark passages? Yeah. So right. we have you know these moments. There's the reference. Like, yeah. 
That's uh, That's that doesn't sound good. No, it's because they didn't take Jennifer Lopez to fight off the anacondas. Uh, (laughs) That's why they all died. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, forgive me for that one. Anyway, I forgive you. I forgive you. Okay. (laughs) Okay, we'll uh, we'll reiterate this in other episodes. But if a listener, because we have to go to bed now. Uh, If a listener (laughs) wanted to reach out to you, uh, where can you be found in the world or on the internet? Uh, if they want to reach out to me, I am on Instagram and Facebook. You can look me up, Justin Nichols. And I'm on, uh, I have an old blog I wrote years ago. I haven't touched it in years. JustinNichols.blogspot.com. Um, yeah, like I said, I haven't written on that in a while. A uh, YouTube channel I occasionally post on. Um, and uh, my website, I'm a pastor at a church, Grace Chapel. So you go to gracechapelonline.org slash soul dash care so i'm pastor of soul care so all sorts of places i don't you know you can you can find me in all those places i don't think i have any of them on private so you can just go follow me and stalk me if you want very nice yes so you can find next there and then if you're following us following the passage so we read chapters one through six here and what's next seven through ten fourteen what did you say I'll, i'll look at it i think it's um it's to the end of the first section because there are a bunch of different sections and there are parts, I should say. So uh-huh. it's, it's, uh, this is, we're in, we're in the middle of part one. So it's just, it's just the end of, of part one. And it goes okay. to, uh, I think you said we'll go through chapter 14 for this one. Yeah. So. It's, it's chapter 14. You're correct. Yeah. Okay. So if you, uh, the listener, would like to read along with us and like to be ready for next time, uh, read 7 through 14. And yeah, I, think they should, I think they should. Absolutely. I think they should. Yes. No homework required. Uh, and uh, <laughs> because that's dumb. Anyway, but <laughs> that's feel dumb. free to uh, drop us a line on the Facebook discussion group. We'll bring stuff up there. And also leave us reviews and dollars on Patreon because it costs money to do this. Yeah. And, and on Facebook, tell us like, who's your favorite character so far? Who, who, who do you like? Who do you dislike? Who's easy to like understand, even if you disagree with what they've done or said, who's easy, to, who's easiest to understand. And um, yeah. What, what resonates about the story so far? All right. You have your mission and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Good night. podcast by Moses Bernabe. If you like what you hear, consider supporting the show with dollars, reviews, or shares, or all of the above. Word and Journey can be found on most major podcast platforms and on my author Patreon at patreon.com slash Moses Bernabe. Moses Bernabe can be found at mosesbernabe.com. Contact info for my most excellent co-hosts can be found in the liner notes. The podcast logo was designed by TJ Todd, with additional development by Moses Bernabe. The theme music is by Aaron Esparza. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.